This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ping.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I am your host. I want to quickly veer- – okay, Cameron, sorry, can we start over? Okay, he's going to edit that out. Sorry, Rachel. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. I just want to very quickly thank my corporate sponsors, Halton Honda and Forever, for believing in myself, my guest of each week, and the content of what we bring here from Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I also want to thank my friends and family over at the C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, following the live show, you can eventually... Uh, find all my live interviews on the podcast link, also on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. So super excited. We're joined here by yet another phenomenal guest today. Who is my guest today? Well, what I can tell you is Dr. Rachel M.K. Headley is a founder and senior partner of the Rose Group International, acting as the chief executive officer. Headley was the operational science officer of the NASA USGS Landsat satellite mission. She is a certified project management professional and has over two decades of experience leading complex and groundbreaking achievements, managing multi-million dollar projects, uniting diverse international stakeholders and guiding teams through change. Wow, what a repertoire. Welcome to the show, Rachel. How are you, my friend? I'm great. Thanks, Lisa. Well, this is great to have you. We've been talking about this for quite some time in the back end. Uh, Really glad that we get to showcase you today and all your stellar achievements and accomplishments because, of course, many of the people who take the time to graciously tune into our show of each week, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people in the business world, a lot of people who are captivated by leadership and certainly have been very fortunate in the roster of top-tier people that I have uh, interviewed and you being one of them, of course, uh, they all embody those exact core ingredients. So I couldn't be more grateful to have you and the gift of your time here, Rachel. So thank you once again for joining myself and the loyal listeners. So Thanks I'm so much th- for having me. Well, such a pleasure. So I'm just going to dive right in here because, of course, everybody who follows me and, and graciously tunes in knows that I'm very unscripted here. So for somebody such as yourself, Rachel, I'm always initially interested in the inception of the journey. So in terms of where you are today in your really quite stellar, remarkable career. If we could maybe scroll it back a little bit to once upon a time in terms of whatever got you in this line of work, whatever projected you on the trajectory of where we are today in terms of what people would glean from your accomplishments in your portfolio. Well, it is an interesting time to 
be able to be an entrepreneur because of course so many of us now have these careers that sort of wander around and to the external eye make absolutely no sense to anyone else <laughs> and uh, we for me it was you know I was I'm endlessly curious about things and I really love science and logic mm-hmm. and when I was um, very young and just had to decide what I wanted to do for college I really had no idea and I fell into geography which is Wow. Really awesome. Yeah, it was, it's really awesome discipline, and it's quite a range of, um, you know, specialties um, once you kind of get in there. And a lot of people study things like, you know, you know, um, I'm sure red and blue states, you know, in the United yes. States, and um, that's political geography. And of course, there's all kinds of other, there's feminist geographers and all kinds of interesting things. But mm-hmm. for me, I was really interested in how humans change the planet and that kind of geography is uh, physical geography and is related to forestry and agriculture. And we really, it's it, the cool thing about it is it takes all of these ideas from all these other uh, specialties and we're kind of the uniter discipline. So in the sciences, we take pieces from ecology and forestry and atmospheric science and soil science. And we try to tell the bigger story of how humans change are changing the landscape and changing the world. And that's the part I love. And in fact, I do the same thing with my business clients today, where I go into an organization and I collect data from the engineers and the leadership and the scientists and the, you know, the customer service teams. And we kind of put together a story and a, and a goal and a process and uh, to get to the goals that we have. So it's actually very similar uh, from a, you know, process perspective, although the topics are very different. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's quite brilliant. So again, congratulations. And of course, I would be very curious to know, Rachel, as I'm sure many of the listening audience is today. Um, you know, do you find yourself still in a male dominated industry, you know, in terms of the level that you've aspired to reach? Are you feeling quite isolated? I mean, obviously, you're a very empowered woman, you can hold your own, you're you're sought out, you're a leader on the, the global scale. But In addition to the smaller circles of who the team looks like, how many of those peers and colleagues would be fellow women? It is a male-dominated environment. Um, There's no doubt about that. I, the first part of my career was in um, uh, in the sciences. I was a PhD scientist who um, actually looked at satellite data to do the analysis, and then I moved into the leadership side of the actual mission execution and the spacecrafts on orbit and is heavy engineering. And so also male dominated. And then I got into business, which as you know, is also very heavily male dominated. Yes. And the, it's an interesting place to navigate because frankly, I am um, a very mass, have a very masculine approach to things. And, you know, and that's on the range of masculine to feminine. I also have very strong ties. Uh, my business coach is actually considers herself, you know, feminist, feminine goddess magician, right? So um, <laughs> I, I, I have reached across the, you know, that spectrum because I recognize that uh, I don't know everything about how to relate to all of the complexities of business and the kinds of people that I run across. And I, and I frankly, I find it very interesting. Um, but, you know, the funny thing is, Lisa, as I build my team and, and I took on a partner, um, about a year and a half ago, uh, who's also a very powerful, strong, um, intelligent woman. And as I build out my team, we keep adding women. And it's not that we don't want to hire men. 
mm-hmm. but it's this wonderful, this sort of gig economy really lends itself to people being a little, women in particular, being a little braver to step out and really own their own power and their own skill sets and their own um, ambition. And so we have this amazing team of women that are, uh, that work with, work with us now. And, and even though we're in a male dominated environment, we relate well um, to those folks and we can, we can stand toe to toe on the intellect and the acumen. And so, uh, and that's really empowering. And I, I'm really excited to bring more and more women um, along on the journey. Fantastic. So currently speaking, what would be the, the ratio, if you could guesstimate it, in terms of women to men? Um, in the industry as a whole? Oh, geez, I don't even. Um, like if you want to narrow it down to a percentage, if it's easier to, to apply it that way. Well, you know, we work, our ideal clients are executives and investors, mm-hmm. which uh, is even fewer women represented. I think the last number I saw was, you know, under 10%. Uh, of those folks are women. And so it is uh, very uh, male dominated, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so do you attribute some of that, Rachel, to the fact that maybe perhaps there's a bunch of women or there's a, you know, a cohort of women who wouldn't necessarily be as interested in this particular line of work as what you are? Do you think it comes down to interest? Or do you think it comes down to other things behind the scenes? Well, I think it's a very complicated issue. But yes, I think, um, there's a lot of women that could be outstanding at doing what we do and being in that business uh, environment. And I think it comes down to, you know, A, people, women just thinking they can. And, uh, and, you know, we look at culture, business culture through a lens of um, four culture types. And so we look at, you know, people um, and, and how they like to work in a team. And mm-hmm. it is absolutely not gender specific. It is absolutely if you prefer to work in a team environment or on your own, or do you prefer order or do you prefer a little more freedom in what you do every day? And there's absolutely no trend in how it relates to, to men or women. And so it's absolutely, I, I really think it's an opportunity. Um, and, and do the women have the opportunities and also um, do, are they brought up and through the you know societal norms to think that that's an option for them? Right. And so I think the more women we have, um, you know, the more it's going to, it's going to snowball. And, and frankly, the, the thing that I really have loved recently is I can't tell you how many men probably in the last two weeks, probably five or six senior level, uh, male clients or, or collaborators that have spoken about the importance of getting women and 50%, we're, we're basically missing 50% of the brain power in the executive right. roles. And so we really... <laughs> I'm speaking, I'm keynoting a um, middle school women in STEM conference Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow. So that's why this conversation's kind of come up. And and it's amazing how supportive um, some some of our Maya male colleagues are. But, you know, it's one of those, like, what what can we actually do to change change it? And I guess for me, it's hiring uh, women and, and paying salaries and encouraging um, an attitude of wealth and, and power 
for Absolutely. Me. Super, super. So for the listening audience, the purpose of them being able to garner exactly what it is you do, if you could maybe perhaps, Rachel, kindly simplify it and maybe, and I know there's probably no two days in your world that look exactly the same, but if you, <laughs> but if you could maybe give myself and the listeners a bit of insight and narrow it down in terms of what a day per week could look like in your world of what it is you do at the level that you operate at. Sure. Our real focus is we look at IX, which is internal experience. So basically business culture. Our goal, uh, we, have a, we have a couple of goals. You know, we, our clients are investors and, and executives because they're the ones that can actually make the call about changing a culture within an organization, whether it's a culture they've invested in or perhaps um, you have a merger and acquisition situation where you have two companies coming together and how do you make the cultures work together? And so we do that. That's the kind of work we do. And because we work at a very high level, um, we consider ourselves a ruler company. So um, those of your audience that are familiar with the archetypes, the 12 archetypes, mm-hmm. um, which means that we're the best in the space and we guarantee our work. And so, you know, my average day can range anything from, you know, meeting with an investor who has four companies and they want us to um, help with some cultural challenges at those companies or, uh, and then we also though, of course, business culture um, also can apply to the very entry level folks. And how do you establish for new hires, what you want the culture to be for them and and how do you integrate them in culture? So on the other end, we also do, um, you know, certification in our process and we do onboarding through an online process uh, for companies. So it really ranges quite a bit from, you know, creating new content and doing Zoom calls with our certification clients all the way up to, you know, um, multi-company investors where we're trying to really, from a strategic perspective, how do we make sure that this company um, provides that is successful in order to provide them a return on their investment? So, Wow. And so within the realm of the the various and the plethora amount of hats that it, you, it is that you wear, Rachel, you know, within all the variety of the roles and responsibilities that you execute and carry out on a daily basis, is there one area within what you do that you're most impassioned by? Yeah, I really love the big thorny problems. <laughs> I, of course I, you do. I love it uh, it's because it uses that same approach that I love so much and and okay what's really going on and and you know it's interesting Lisa one of the things that does set us apart from other uh, companies and businesses is that we tell you what you need to know not what people think you want to hear and so we are really fearless around um breaking down barriers, calling a spade a spade, addressing sacred cows, what's the elephant in the room, <laughs> you know, all of the things. So we, we, we'll come, but you know, we also have to honor everybody in the room. So we don't want, if there's a longstanding dispute, let's say you have this three year, you know, sort of ongoing battle with another division in the organization, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to come in and we're going to sit down and say, listen, this is, this is behavior that's perpetuating this problem. We need to be solving this and what's going on. And we actually sit down with everybody and we hash those things out. So the challenge for us is, is we don't want people to feel like there's winners and losers because then you're going to go away and think I was right for three years, you know? And yeah. so we really, we really fight to make sure that everyone understands that there's, 
everyone in the room is working on without nefarious intent, right? Everyone's well-intentioned generally. Mm -hmm. So we really, we're really all about making everyone's life better. And it's amazing how unspoken conversation between individuals or between teams or in a company, even in relationships at home, can really destroy uh, what you're trying to build. And so we, you know, it's this, my business partner, she's a, was an executive at an, at a, as in HR at a big extractive mining, uh, in the extractive mining industry. And holy moly, like she, we always joke that I'm the one that helps get things done through process. And she's the one that makes sure the people are doing okay. And <laughs> between us, we have this sort of yin yang of, you know, making sure uh, how are we actually going to get there? Because the humans are the ones that actually are the team that make the great things happen. In business. Absolutely. So that's how we, yeah. So that's where we focus on. Absolutely. Well, and I like the fact that you prefaced it in such a way that it really is going into it with the mindset and the approach that it's a win-win, right? It's not one person comes out feeling that they're on the, you know, the short end of the stick, so to speak. So the fact that you do go in intentionally with the idea and with the approach that everybody's going to come out feeling like they're the winner. I think that's so important because I think that's missing. And particularly for previous environments that I've worked in, you know, it sounds like some of what you were discussing there could somehow be paralleled with when you're talking about arbitration or you're getting into negotiations or there's a union dispute. So is it some of those kinds of skills that are embodied in terms of resolution and, uh, you know, making sure that it's a happy medium for everybody. So as everybody can jump on board and be part of the bigger picture. Well, I wish it, I wish I was that organized about it. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's really, for us, it's about, you know, we have, it's always for us, almost always, we do moderate board retreats and things like that, board of director retreats, um, because of some of these issues. And that's what we're solely focused on. But over time, though, what our bigger picture is, is how do we create an environment in a company that is going to achieve the goals and ambitions of everyone in that organization beyond what they can even imagine. And that's the, that's the context. And so what we do is we, as we move toward these big goals and we're building team and we're getting everyone excited, that's when we run into these strange roadblocks. And then we just try to dissolve them and get them out of the way. So we does it, so it doesn't get in the way of what everyone's trying to accomplish. And, and that's really the exciting part. Like we we do a lot of problem solving and it's very, you know, the executives want to know ROI and all the things and that's all fun. And we love to do that. But mm-hmm. the thing that's really exciting is you can create an environment where you actually are excited to go to work. Love it. And, and that's the piece that I love creating that high performing, excited, um, I, that you just can't stand to not be working within your team because it's so exciting. And that's Fant- the part that we really enjoy. Fantastic. And you really impressed upon something that does sometimes come up in subject matter here with other guests that I've showcased. And I think it's important because every guest that I talk about has a different slant or a different perspective. And sometimes it just takes that one guest and you know, the listening audience has a bit of an aha moment or they shift a little bit differently as a result of it being paraphrased or phrased in such a way from each individual guest. So, you know, when you talk about, um, when you talk about, you know, soft skills too, you know, like in terms of the importance of the culture and maintaining the, the culture, what, what would you say, Rachel, is important for people to recognize or to circle back on when it comes to 
soft skills in terms of really being a true staunch leader? Yeah, Lisa, that's a good, I love that you said soft skills because I think that's been one of the um, big problems, honestly, with soft skills is it's called soft skills. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people that want to feel like they're powerful, strong leaders, soft skills doesn't necessarily resonate them as an egoic label resonate right. with them. And so that's one of the things that we're really, we have, a, we have a book that's coming out later this year. And we actually are, the working title is called Power Culture, because we want to create a powerful culture through powerful leadership and strong team because we, that's really what we want. And, and being a strong and powerful leader isn't being a jerk. Exactly. It's, being, it's supporting your team and, and being there for your team and understanding what they need and growing them, but also leading powerfully, guiding powerfully. And, and that, that's where I really think some of the, the challenges, because in leadership and culture work, uh, I think the reason that they're not as embraced perhaps in some organizations is because it doesn't feel authentic mm-hmm. to really ambitious, go-getter kind of leaders. And they don't, you know, having, feeling like they're good at soft skills doesn't necessarily resonate with them. So we're, we're kind of trying to rebrand some of that stuff. Like if you think about empathy as an example, yeah. empathy is something that a lot of strong leaders, uh, alpha personalities don't necessarily identify with. And frankly, I personally have, uh, uh, I, I personally struggle with feeling like empathy is a thing for me. And, how, you know, I just, and I'm good at it. I'm getting better. Frankly, the older I get, the better I am at it. But, you know, for me, I tend to think about empathy as almost a strategy. Like, so I understand that people, um, some people are much more emotionally driven than I am. Um, I understand that people are um, worry about how they're perceived or their self-confidence. And, and I understand all of that. And especially if I'm in a power position and you're coming to me with a concern, I understand that that's a really uncomfortable situation for you. And so, but what I, so what I think about strategy or um, empathy is I think of, okay, I understand that this is how some people operate. And so how can I behave in a way that supports them? and makes them more comfortable and that makes them uh, a, a more powerful person themselves. And so I really don't think of it as some kind of soft skill that I have to hug everybody, which is how <laughs> they get perceived. I do hug some people, uh, but, but, uh, but, you know, it's like, I really, we're trying to figure out how to talk about those kind of quote unquote soft skills um, in a way that actually resonates with a lot of powerful people, uh, a lot uh, that, consider themselves powerful leaders. So that's an interesting juxtaposition for the kind of thing that we're trying to, trying to do. Absolutely. Well, there's a couple simultaneous thoughts that came to me. I'm going to try and hold them both here because I think they're both equally pivotal here (laughs) to this conversation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think one, you just by answering the question which you did, I think that just reinforces why you're on this program, uh, why you're perceived, characterized, and sought out for the leader that you are. Because leadership, whether you're talking about empathy specifically as a skill or as a strategy, what you've kind of answered there too is it, it really is about 
self-awareness and the fact that you've been able to articulate and succinctly articulate and identify, okay, this is what my strong suit is. This perhaps is not my strong suit, but I'm, I'm, I'm aware enough of it, the level of importance attached to it, that for the people that I'm interfacing and for the role that I'm in, again, you having prefaced, you know, a power position and knowing people are bringing their concerns to you. A lot of people don't have that level of self-awareness. A lot of people who are in so-called a leadership position, they think that they've kind of earned the right by being in that so-called position, that they forfeit the need or it's no longer a necessity to continually grow, self-examine, self-dissect, self-analysis. And so by the mere fact that you were able to, you know, share your insights there and be cognizant of the fact that, okay, this might not be my predominantly strong area, but it's still something I know is is very pertinent to the re- working relationship I have with I'm, clients that I'm interfacing with and coming to terms with resolution and really expanding our culture and really making it feel inclusive and safe and fun and everything else that you've highlighted Uh, as being part and parcel of your vocation. So I just want to say that for me, you know, regardless of whatever personal or professional characteristics somebody feels that they're lacking or it's not particularly their strong suit but can identify it, that to me just trumps everything. So, I mean, I really appreciate you saying that, Rachel. Well, there's probably a lot of other things I stink at that I'm not nearly as (laughs) self-aware about. (laughs) So I appreciate that, but you know, but it is interesting because we, uh, one of the things that we really try to do with, we have some IP around how we actually do culture change. Because I think you're right in that there is a lot of people that might not be aware um, that those things exist, and and that once you're a leader, you, it actually is more incumbent upon you to to be more aware of those things because yes. you're. A, you're the example, B, you're guiding the organization or the team. And so we really, what we've figured out in organizations and for leadership roles is how you, a lot of people think, well, I really don't like the feeling of the culture here, but what do you, how do you do it? Like, how do you change it? It's like, I can be happier, you know, more excited, more excited and all that, but how do you instill it? And so it's one of the things that we really uh, love is that our, the way that we've, um, we basically have taken the kind of personality profiles that everyone's familiar with, Myers, Briggs, Dick, colors, communication styles, all the things. And all of those are really based on the same work back in the 20s by Carl Jung. And it's sort of built on, you know, the variations of that. But what we've done is we've taken all of those and we've turned it kind of 90 degrees and looked at it through a team environment because all of those personality profiles are really great for that self-reflection. What can I work on? Strength finders, all the, all those, um, all those guys. But what we, but how do you actually, if I, I'm an ENTJ in the Myers universe and at Myers Briggs world. And, but how do, what does that really tell me about how I interact with 16 other types in a team? <laughs> like just beyond even, how do you even do it? So what we've done is we've looked at it from, okay, we've actually created our own four sort of cult, what we call culture types. And if we understand, like if you think about um, an, a, a healthcare system is a great example, the nurses on the floor, they're in the neonatal taking care of babies. You know, they're what we call stabilizers. They go to work every day and they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And they are the best at it. And they want to do that for the rest of their career. 
And then we have maybe the executives in that hospital. They are maybe what we call fixers or independents, and they like a lot more chaos in their day. They like to do a thousand different things. They might not even know what's going to happen that day at work because they're running around like crazy people. You and I are uh, fixers or independents, and we like a lot more chaos. And so if we can figure out where you land, well, the, the people that like order think of it as chaos. We think of it as freedom, right? Yes. We like the freedom. <laughs> and uh, so we can, once we figure out what kind of organization, what kind of people are in your organization, then we can really strategize about how to affect change. Because Lisa, if you're an independent, you never want me to tell you, this is what you have to do. And this is when you have to do it. And that's just the way it is. Because no, you I quit. will. I quit right there and then I quit, Rachel. Sorry. Right. I'm out, I'm right. out the nope. door. <laughs> You're walking out the door. So if you were in an organization, the first thing I would do, if there's big changes coming, the first thing I would do for Lisa is to say, Lisa, I know that I have this, I have this really challenging problem coming up. Could you take a look at some of this stuff and figure out what you would recommend as the way to move forward? Because you would Absolutely. take that. Love it. Right? Love it. But the stabilizers in the organization who just, they want to come in and be the best that they can be every day and and know what they're coming into. They like order. You know, they don't want to know that the business might collapse if we don't do this. That's like too much anxiety for them. They're like, I don't know. I just want to know I'm going to have a job and I'm going to be great at it. And I'm the best in the company. And that's what I want to do every day. And so it really depends on the kind of organization and the kind of people in your organization. And we can really help you strategize about how to actually um, affect change, which 70 plus percent of all change uh, fails in organizations to some degree or other, because no one really knows how to pull it off. And so that's kind of the fun part about what we do too. Love it. Love it. Love the overview. You're very good at what you do, clearly. (laughs) Oh, well, I sure have a good time doing it, which is half the battle, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we can talk about perhaps some of your most pivotal, tangible, intangible mentors, whether it be people related to what it is you do for a living or something in the backstory personally related, uh, you know, that kind of demonstrated for you firsthand as being that role model, uh, again, call it tangible, intangible mentor, who you really looked upon as, okay, this person's got it down pat, you know, whether it was something you were aligned with or not philosophically or within the right uh, the realm of career, you know, who, who in your life, Rachel, either past, present, um, current, you know, who really speaks to you in terms of, wow, that, that's just such a natural born leader. If you even believe in natural born, maybe it's learned, but whatever the case may be, who, who's been that for you? Who's fulfilled that for you? You know, it's really, that's a, a really complicated question um, because my, you know, to be, to be frank, that probably my biggest mentor um, for, especially for women, what is my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she has this amazing story about, you know, she grew up in a household that was pretty dysfunctional, didn't really have a mother figure and, you know, basically raised herself and her younger sister and then in California and then moved all the way out to a farm in South Dakota with my dad. Um, you know, and, but she was a farm wife for a while and then she got her master's in mathematics and her mm-hmm. PhD in wow. education administration all the time that we were in, you know, teenagers and going through college. And, and so really is my mother's accomplishment and being that, that I can do anything I set my mind to 
it doesn't matter that I might be the only woman in the room. Um, I can go toe to toe with anybody. And that she really instilled that both by her words and her actions. Uh, on the flip side of that, though, my father was the one that was saying, yes, go get your mat. I know it'll take three years. I can do anything for three years. I'll cook supper. I'll take care of the kids. You go do the thing. And so I don't know, like, which is more amazing uh, in the context of the time. But um, so that was really powerful as far as um, as far as that goes. I to, to really believe I can pull off whatever. Um, yeah, I was incredibly lucky. The older I get, the more uh, I'm aware of the fortunate circumstance around my family, for mm -hmm. sure. Beautiful. Um, but the, the challenge, actually, for me today um, with with growing up the way I did, we were, um, you know, we were a farm family, and we never had a lot of cash. We always had food, um, but we never had a lot of money. And as I grew up, so I actually have a lot of challenges around money, money blocks and thinking about money and being okay to be wealthy. And mm -hmm. it took me years as a woman professional to say that I wanted to be wealthy. It just isn't a accepted practice, accepted attitude. I don't know if I've ever met a man who had the same problem, um, <laughs> but for some, you know what I mean? Like have that anxiety around it. That's probably not fair because my boyfriend's probably one of those people, but it, you know, but for women, it's just really not okay. Um, well, and let's you, talk about that. That's, you know what, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And again, for the listening audience, everybody knows this is organic. There's no nothing scripted here. And you never know what direction this is going to go in. So I really appreciate the fact that this is surfaced in our conversation. Because yes, people do have a really odd relationship with money. Uh, and you know, we understand that money is another form of energy. So in terms of, you know, the value that we place upon ourselves, in terms of understanding our worthiness and our deservability, people seem to have no problem, regardless of gender, if you're talking about obtaining a degree, uh, you know, going to med school, becoming a lawyer, whatever the case may be. But the minute you start to talk about the money aspect specifically, people get a little weirded out about that. People, you know, and we've talked about this on radio as well, too. People think that there's some kind of uh, parallel between, um, you know, the more money you make or the more you earn or the more you have, uh, you instantaneously morph into this really self-centered, absorbed, <laughs> narcissistic person. And truly, that's, that's nothing could be further from the truth because for me, and I've, I've seen this, I, I've bore witness to this and I, I can relate to this you know if you were already prior to earning your your wealth if you were already a, a kind generous giving pay it forward be of service type person this just actually accentuates your means in which to even do that at a higher level as with anything else that you've acquired skill wise or that's in your toolbox in which to impart to the rest of the world so but if you were alternatively if you were always kind of that person by description who was self-absorbed and was narcissistic and really was just looking out for number one and number one only yeah if you were already pre-wired that way and then you come into wealth then that just you know it heightens the fact that you're you really are that kind of person but I I don't think money itself is what does that to people and I think that's a real misconception people have well I think that the money is weird uh, money makes people crazy and for lots of reasons and I think the big the big turning point for me was when I achieved the place in my career where I didn't have to 
fight money. Most mm-hmm. of us look at money as uh, an enemy mm-hmm. uh, because we have bills to pay that we worry about paying or we, we need a new car and we don't have the money to buy the new car and, or we, we love a, a nicer house in a nicer neighborhood and it's not something we can afford. And, and the money is always the thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I turned the corner and looked at money as a logic problem to say, um, and the premise, of course, is I want to make a lot of money, but I want to make a lot of money, not only for myself and my family, but to do the philanthropic things that I wish I could um, support. Mm-hmm. And um, my business has a, uh, my business partner and I put together a, a philanthropy plan for our business and, and what we're going to invest in and how much we're going to invest. And, and so as we reach thresholds of income, we get to give more money away, which is really Absolutely. exciting. Um, but when I turn the corner into looking at money as a logic problem, I'm very logically oriented, as you probably guessed, um, and say, you know, um, I, I made this much last year um, in the company. If we do these things this year, we can make twice as much. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, instead mm-hmm. of, oh, my gosh, I need, we need, we need, we need, it's that energy of, it's a different energy around money. Yeah. And I, and the more you can channel for me that energy of, you know, it's just a, someone, you know, these millionaires running around with lots of money. Um, it's not that they're any smarter than mm-hmm. anyone else. They've just figured out the game. Mm-hmm. And so when, it, when you think about it in that sort of um, logic approach, and what, what, is, what did this person do that I like that worked? What did this person do that liked and I worked? And here's the thing that no one else seems to be doing. And I like, let's see if that works. You know, it's just a totally different <laughs> feeling around money. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to highlight some of the important underlying uh, facts, I think, that uh, go hand in hand with money and kind of debunking some of this. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you for being empowered in that aspect, too, because, you know, there's a lot of people who own their power in terms of being on the global stage or, you know, being the person who sits in the top tier position or in that CEO chair or, you know, is the one regularly sought out. But, you know, again, it doesn't necessarily equate with the fact that the relationship one in that position has with money just instantaneously is you know uh is accepted or embraced so thank you for sharing that you've been very candid in this interview and i appreciate that <laughs> so uh, really truly I, it I might love be a that. weakness no. of a strength, but <laughs> <laughs> So being cognizant of time, I want to give you an opportunity, Rachel. So a couple quick things that I really would like for you to think about in terms of, you know, imparting message to the listening audience. So if there was one one nugget, one gem that you could leave with uh, the, the listening audience to resonate in terms of whether we're talking about leadership, whether knowing that there's a huge demographic of women that are perhaps listening to this show and they're on the fence in their own lives as to what direction to go in or, uh, you know, they're kind of scared a little bit or they're reticent to play a bigger game in their life. What would you say, regardless of the gender, but what would you say to the people who are listening today who are really kind of in awe of what you've mastered in your own life and kind of think, you know, that's awesome like I really wish I could be like Rachel or I could do what Rachel's doing not necessarily job description per se or vocation specifically but in terms of your mindset in terms of your leadership in terms of your self-confidence in terms of how you've scaled and leveled up and, and leveraged everything in your own life what would you say to people in terms of reinforcing that it can and is possible yeah the biggest the biggest lesson that I've learned uh that has led me through this journey um, in a way that really empowered me is 
being, and it's such a cliche at the moment, but it's so true. And that's, you know, being okay uh, with failing. Mm, Yes. And, you know, I do, and what I tell people that have trouble or, or, or worry about failing or perception, you know, perception of failing or just how, how it is to fail. I have failed miserably at giant things. I've been uh, reorganized out of a job. I've been, um, you know, I've had long-term relationships that have failed, you know, and that's a huge personal uh, ego failure. But, you know, the other thing that, and I've recovered from those things and, and I know I could, I know I could handle anything, frankly. And that's what makes uh, me so capable of doing whatever. That's why I can sit in a room with a billionaire and talk to him about what his issues are and how I can help. <laughs> it's, you know, I, it's, to me, it's like, you know, I have kind of that Midwestern, everyone puts their pants one, you know, puts their pants on one leg at a time. But Love part it. of it is, be- part of it is because I've done crazy things by myself that have worked or not worked to some degree, but I've survived them and most and learned a lot. And so I've traveled the world uh alone i've um you know i took adult ballet which was a disastrous choice <laughs> let me tell you um just me and pink tights and a leotard is just not anything anyone should have to see including myself yeah, you, don't, you don't strike me as a tutu girl uh nope nope i do love a good dress but uh you know it was just awkward and weird and there's a giant bank of mirrors and you're like what am I doing here um and that's but you know I stuck with it because I committed to trying it and uh yeah it was horribly embarrassing I'd luckily I didn't have to do any performing or recitals or whatever um but you know what I tell people a lot in fact I just had a little Forbes article about um a few months ago about you know if you're really one of those people that really is anxious about doing something new or trying something new or looking silly or not sure what that looks like, you know, just, you know, give yourself a bit of a break and just do baby steps. Like mm-hmm. every Wednesday afternoon, try something new, whether it's go to a different cafe that you don't know anyone at, or, you know, mm-hmm. try a, try a mountain bike, rent a mountain bike for the afternoon or do, do little steps of things that mm, you don't think you can do, or you've never done before. And over time, I really think you get, you sort of exercise that muscle of, yeah, what the hell? Let's give it a shot. And, Absolutely. And I think that's what really where where the self confidence comes in, and where the yeah whatever. Let's you know someone will say I'm not sure we could handle it, or I'm not sure we could take on this client, or we've never done it quite this way. And I'm like, we are smart enough to figure out anything that comes our way. Love so that. Say Love so. That. I guess my take home is say say yes. Do the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this. I'll, I'll tell a little short story about when I was um, in the satellite world, I was on the operational mission. We were launching a spacecraft uh, in 2013, and I was on base on Vandenberg Air Force Base a couple days early, and I was sitting with a bunch of people. I had no idea who they were, and all of a sudden, someone runs in the room and says, if we're going to go, we got to go now, or, we, or we're not going to get another chance, and everyone dra- grabs their coat and runs out of the room, and I don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> I don't know anyone in the room, and I grab my coat, and I run out the door, too, and I end up sitting in someone's car. I don't even know who they are. I'm too embarrassed, I'm too embarrassed to ask what the hell we're doing because I'm supposed to know. You know, I'm pretending I know. <laughs> and uh, to make this long story uh, a little shorter, uh, where, where we ended up was we ended up on the 15th floor 
of the launch tower on um, Space Launch Complex 3 East, where my rocket and spacecraft were sitting. And uh, we, it was just a photo op at the top of the rocket where the hand-painted you know, logos are and all that stuff. And it was <laughs> just thinking incredible. And I would have missed that opportunity wow. if I had not just jumped on into someone's yep. car, random stranger's car, and found out what was going on. And it's just a little example, but it's an example where a lot of people would have said, oh, I don't know anyone. I don't know what's happening. I'll just stay here. And they would have absolutely missed that opportunity. Yes. Yes, I totally agree with you. And that's a perfect example to illustrate your point. And so being at the bottom of the hour, Rachel, I could talk to you forever. I love your energy. I love your humor. (laughs) And I just, I love your self-confidence. You're just, you're the perfect consummate guest. I absolutely love it. Uh, But that's not to say that you can't come back. You're welcome here. Open standing invitation if you ever wish to reappear as a guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. But very, very quickly before I just uh, thank the listeners once again, where can people reach out to you, Rachel? Well, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you, if you uh, search on Rachel MK Headley, you'll get me. And, uh, and then also our website is Rose Group. Is my, my company is Rose Group International. So if you go to rosegroupintl.com, all of our stuff's out there. Fantastic. Well, again, Rachel, I want to thank you for the gift of your time. I want to thank you for such an, a very enjoyable, enjoyable interview. Uh, you know, I love your energy. I love your humor. And I love what you're doing out there in the world to, you know, you're a trailblazer. And uh, I, I love how you've encouraged people directly and indirectly here through some of the messaging that came through the airwaves. You know, just step into it. Own yourself. Own the stage. You know, you have as much right to be here as anybody else. Go shine. Life's too short not to. Um, so I just want to thank you again to the listening audience thank you once again for taking time out of your busy day for tuning into living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald with my awesome guest rachel here today Uh, i want to encourage you as i always do i'm here to uplift you to fear less and to live more i want to once again thank my corporate sponsors halton honda and forever for believing in myself the content the network uh that i'm both network platforms that i'm affiliated with so again the contact talk radio network and c-suite radio network and again big thank you to c-suite radio network for believing as well in the content of living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald and as a reminder following the live show you can eventually find the podcast link of each interview interview of each guest of each week over on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I want to thank you for being one of over 500,000 podcast subscribers. Couldn't be doing this in a vacuum. So your support, your endorsements, your feedback, your testimonials have been fantastically and well-received. So I can't thank you enough and look forward to doing this again next Friday. Every Friday we go live here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald on the Contact Talk Radio Network. So that's 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 Central, 11 Eastern. Wishing you a fantastic weekend. Love and gratitude. Take care. All my best, Rachel. Thank you. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.